Okay, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And in this episode, I spoke to Nikita, the founder of Unbox, a platform that bridges the gap between students who want to work in a dynamic startup and startups who want to recruit. We also talk about how the mission of her and her business is to promote diversity in the startup space to get more women and ethnic minorities to change the landscape and offer more opportunity to all those backgrounds. She also talks about her own personal journey of starting Unbox as a female founder of color. It was massively interesting. I learned so much and I really hope that you do too. So in this week's shout out, so every week, uh, in case you guys forgot, every week I'm doing a shout out to someone who's left a written review on Apple Podcasts uh, at the beginning of each episode. So if you want to feature in the next episode, be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Sorry if you're on Android, you can't leave a review at the moment. I know it's a bit annoying. It's not, um, not my fault, <laughs> but only, only people on iPhone can do it. So anyway, this week's shout out goes to Armand Henners, who says, exceptional podcast. Thank you, Sina, for bringing this idea to life. You've got a great talent for delving into young entrepreneurs and their journeys. This show has helped me a lot during lockdown and even to help develop my own side projects. Thanks again, mate. Thank you so much for that review, Armand. Real pleasure to, to, to know that you actually like the episodes and to know that you're listening. And So yeah, if you, like Armand, want to feature in the next episode, be sure to leave a written review and I'll read them out. So without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Hey, Nikita, how are you? Hi, Sina. Yeah, I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? How's lockdown treating you? Yeah, very well, very well, thank you. Um, you just finished your exams, no? Yeah. Or have you still got just some? Just finished. Very excited. Finished last week and yeah, currently tasting freedom, which is something I haven't tasted for four years. So it's pretty good, pretty good. What are you going to do with that with that time? Well, good question. Um, <laughs> probably not give you the answer you want, but a lot of unbox. Um, yeah, I've got, um, you know, a whole summer uh, free now to really build out what we're doing. Um, but I am also going to take some time off um read for pleasure actually which is exciting um and just kind of catch up with friends and stuff so yeah a good mix of um chilling and productivity hopefully yeah that's really good to do and the thing is like we talked about this before we uh recorded press record but like during lockdown it's actually become very difficult to sort of like switch off from from working and I feel like I'm like working like crazy now because <laughs> just so like there's no way to, to kind of switch off which is really bad yeah I know what you mean I think it's almost like you have to set yourself not just a routine but also be quite disciplined and when you're taking time off so I don't know I've started turning my phone off after like 9 p.m or 10 p.m or something it it never really happens but I've I've tried <laughs> and then kind of only switching it on after I've actually got up in the morning and stuff because otherwise it just feels like you're constantly on call and um working and I think it can be quite damaging for mental health as well um and I think mental health is something that's super fragile in the current environment anyway so yeah make sure you're taking care of yourself (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I I spoke to this uh with a friend of mine a couple days ago and he was saying how like he's he's limiting Instagram a lot like he's only going on it once a day because that he's feeling like yeah the mental health thing that you just talked about so I think it is good to like limit how much because I feel like I'm going on my phone as well more in, in lockdown so 
yeah you just have to limit you have to limit yourself because it just yeah it's really bad for you definitely I also think there's a lot of performative productivity going around on social media which is so damaging as well right because if you feel like everyone around you is working kind of 14 hour days and you know doing this that and the other um it seems like no one's actually taking care of their physical or mental health they're not chilling out um spending time with family and I just think you know it's a balance so I think we all have to try and distance ourselves from that performative stuff and just do what's right for us yeah no you're definitely right and he was saying how like it's really it's really helped him um so yeah I'll probably give it a go as well because uh yeah I think because I got on my phone like way too much I think uh so yeah Join the club. it's good <laughs> yeah I think it's almost like digital detox is needed yeah for sure yeah for sure so talking about unbox you mentioned it a little bit ago what is like for people who don't know what what is unbox sure so unbox is a student-led student-founded um soon to be social enterprise that is basically trying to break down barriers for students to get into the startup ecosystem and the way that we do that is by um matchmaking essentially um students to startup opportunities in vc Um, So venture capital, as well as different incubators, accelerators and fast growing dynamic startups across the UK. So that's what Unbox is doing at the moment. And ultimately, our vision is to see a much more diverse um, startup ecosystem and tech ecosystem in the UK, because as you probably know, it is very homogenous right now. And it's very difficult, given that it's such a network based industry for anyone but particularly students to break into. So not only are we trying to professionally upskill students alongside their academic degrees, but we're also trying to make the face of the startup world a lot more diverse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I read something the other day, especially for VCs, because VCs, I feel like, well, I haven't really seen any sort of like graduates role in a VC. I think, I feel like, I might be totally wrong here, but I feel like for a VC, it's just, it's just finding people who you know, it's just contacts uh, who they hire. And so, and then I read the other day that like a large proportion of the VC, like uh, the boards, they're, they're very white. So yeah, I think the definitely change is needed. A hundred percent. And I think you're totally right about the stats. I think, you know, if you're a woman, for example, one, your chances like are immediately stacked against you. So I think, less than 1% of VC funding goes to female founders. Um, if you're a black founder, for example, and you're female, that you can just imagine like how quickly that decreases even further. So it's really something that's yeah. needed because ultimately the companies that these VCs are investing in are the companies of the future. And if we don't get diverse talent into those VCs themselves, um, then ultimately there's going to be even um, more kind of even less investment in um, diverse founders, whether they're people of color, um, whether they're women or whatever it might be. And so diversifying the face of the industry, I think is the first step to diversifying, you know, um, founders themselves. Yeah, it's definitely a topic that's, you know, relevant, so relevant right now. And like, would you, I'm really interested in this topic. Would you put this down, you know, if you're a black woman founder and I know, I know the stats are real, like, 
the chance of you getting investment is is heavily stacked against you. Why do you think that is? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think ultimately we've almost already hit on it. It's that there is so few women, so few women of color, so few black women, just taking this as one example, of course, of diversity um, in the VC space. Um, And if they are working in the VC space, then they're usually analysts or associates. They're not going to be partners usually. Um, That means that given this unconscious bias that we have to invest in people who look like us, who sound like us and things like that, ultimately, you know, odds are immediately stacked against you and you're not going to get that chance to even pitch because all of the partners are going to be white middle-aged men. Um, And so I think ultimately by breaking down these barriers into these kinds of network-based homogenous industries, what Unbox is trying to do um, is ensure that there is that funding available for diverse founders, because I think ultimately that's the reason why it's so hard to get funding, because there aren't people who look like them at the top of the industry. Yeah, but that takes that takes so many years of change. Oh, I guess mm-hmm. like you need to start from somewhere. Yeah, it takes a lot of years of change. And ultimately, we're under no illusion that this is something we can single handedly change, you know, in the next two years. Um, but ultimately, it's really awesome to see how many diversity initiatives there are in the space. Like we're not the only ones who are doing this. So, you know, you've got um, accelerators um, and social enterprises like Foundervine, for example, who are trying to diversify the tech ecosystem. You've got VCs like Diversity VC who are, again, trying to do a similar thing in the VC space. So particularly in the current climate, with everything that's going on regarding race in the media and with regards to police brutality in the US, for example, I think whilst this is obviously not a new issue, it's great that um, a spotlight is being shed on the issues and the industry is starting to wake up to the fact that they need to change this because ultimately... Um, we all know that um, creativity is bred from diversity and that financial returns are going to increase when you've got a diverse board or a diverse team. So ultimately, it's really time that we start putting that into practice. And I think the collection of all of these new initiatives um, will hopefully go some way to actually creating that change that we need to see. But yeah, I mean, as you said, it's something that's going to take time. Um, mm. And we have to be patient with that. Yeah, no, excellent mission. I I love that because it's like industries like that are screaming for change, especially right now. They're screaming for change, and I'm interested. Was this your mission from day one when you started uh, Unbox? Good question again. So no, actually, um, we started out. We being me and my co-founder Sophia, who is amazing, and who I wouldn't be here without. Um, Basically, we attended the same college at university in Oxford, and we first met about a year ago, actually, when I've returned from a year abroad in South America working, actually, in the startup space. So I'd worked um, in a startup in my second year at uni, and then when I started my year abroad, I worked at an accelerator called Startup Chile, Um, and then I worked at a VC fund in Argentina, And all of these experiences collectively made me realize that actually, God, this was such an exciting ecosystem to be part of and to learn more about. But ultimately, like, why had I not heard about any of these awesome opportunities when I was at university in the UK? 
Why was everyone going into corporate finance? Why were people going into consulting, law? And then anything outside of that was like, oh my gosh, you know, how are you going to make your way in this industry? How are you going to be successful if you go into, you know, the third sector or if you go into the startup (laughs) space? And so Sophia felt very similarly about all of this. Um, And she um, and I kind of sat down one day after we had both been frantically applying to graduate jobs in my case and corporate internships in her case. And suddenly we sat down and were like, okay, why are we doing this? Like, does any of this actually appeal to us personally? Or are we just doing this because everyone around us is doing the same thing? And I guess it didn't take us long to realize that that was ultimately the case, right? The, de- the definition of success at Russell Group, unis, and places like Oxbridge is that if you don't go into this, what we call the um, holy trinity of corporate careers, and if you aren't influenced by this corporate group thing, then ultimately the message is that you're not going to be successful. And we just found that so damaging and realized that yeah. one of the reasons that might be is because... Um, there's so little exposure to the startup ecosystem and to the tech ecosystem on campus because obviously startups don't have the same resources and budgets that these massive corporates do to advertise their opportunities. And so actually we started by creating um, an entrepreneurship society um, at a college level. Um, And whilst there are some great initiatives um, at Oxford um, in the startup space in terms of helping students find investment if they start up at university and stuff like this Mm. a lot of those efforts have focused on um and we were talking about this before Sina but we're focused on masters and PhD students and actually for undergrads who had no clue what the future held for them you know there was very little support so we basically did something similar to your podcast actually but in person so Just like any society, we tried to get in contact with anyone who really inspired us, who'd been in the startup space um, in recent years or had built something really cool and got them to come in and speak on panels, to do interactive workshops um, and stuff with students. And we got really good feedback, but we soon realized that actually the kind of solution that we'd proposed of just getting these people in to talk to students wasn't really solving the problem that we'd set out to. And it also exposed another problem was that actually students just didn't have any avenues to get this experience. And so that's Mm. when we pivoted into the idea of Unbox, where our initial mission was to sort of close the skills gap in higher education. um, Because you know, as I'm sure you know, the learning curve that a student can go on when interning at a startup is truly radical and different from what you experience in the corporate sphere. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, we decided to start matchmaking students with opportunities that we thought would be a great fit for them in the startup space. And ran a pilot cohort for about 50 students and startups um, this Easter, so just a few months ago to great feedback and that's when we realized that actually you know this was awesome but it was really really important to us that we weren't just helping the people who were already part of this network-based industry and whose kind of dads or moms could easily get them these internships we wanted to help the people (laughs) who wouldn't necessarily have access to these opportunities right and so that's when the diversity piece became a very important part of our mission wow that's a (laughs) 
it's a very long journey from something so it started from a society to you know talks to matchmaking to diversity yeah you're switching around a lot that's really cool yeah it's cool but I mean it's definitely been difficult I think a lot of people um both internally and externally um I think it's pretty common at the very early stages I mean we've only been going for about five months to um find it difficult to find your feet and also to really align your solution with the problem that you're personally very passionate about you and your team um and I think from the outside it seems that a lot of businesses just very magically come across this product market fit and then soon after that validate it and then raise x amount of funds and it's all like super cool and amazing but ultimately what goes on behind the scenes is way more complicated than that right um and i'm yeah. I, I know you've talked to a lot of other guests about this but it's difficult to actually align your solution with the problem that is really relevant to your target market and target demographic so yeah I, it's always a work in progress yeah i actually had uh i, I remember this so clearly we we like in one of my tutorials, I think in like second year, the guy we had a we had like a like ten minute spare or something at the end, and the guy was just interested to see you know what like who we were who we were and like what sort of internships we were applying for at the end of like the year, and like everyone went around like yeah I'd love to work in consulting, and mm -hmm. uh, the next one was like investment banking and stuff, so it all just went around like the typical sort of answers you'd hear, and then. I said, I'd actually love to get an internship at a, at a startup. And they all like looked at me like, like, whoa, <laughs> like, who, like, who would actually do that? Like, why would you do that? And I was just like, well, like, I really like the environment. And I think the learning curve that you get at these places is, is it would be immense. And the contacts you'd get from these places would be, you know, I, for me, they'd be more valuable than for, for an investment bank. But I remember the reception so clearly as in like they were just like, looking down at me so much. And then when I actually came to applying to internships as startups, there weren't like I couldn't find a, a platform that actually dealt with this. I couldn't mm -hmm. find a platform that I could go on. And like, there are some, but I mean, there aren't many startups on there. Um, and like startups that I like they, yeah, that I wouldn't like necessarily go for. So there are, I think like angels list or something like that. I can't remember yeah. the name exactly, but there are some websites out there that have that sort of thing. But I ended up getting, getting an internship at a startup just by literally emailing them. Like I emailed them and I was like, do you like, would you take an intern? And the guy got back to me, shout out to Paul. And he got back <laughs> to me and he was like, yeah, um, yeah, why not? Like come in for an interview. So I went in and like they just talked to me about like why I want to like come in and it was a very chill chat and at the end of it they they were like yeah we'd, we'd love to to have you on so and I learned so much there as well and you know they they've become really successful now there was literally there was three of us there was three of us it was me wow. and the two founders and then by the time I started there was a sales guy as well so four of us but now they're like a team of 25 they're they're, oh they're about to go into series a so like to be a part of that growth in the early stages for me like that's really rewarding i i love like I, yeah i love that and i learned so much in the process oh it's so awesome to hit that you know because i think a lot of people are quite skeptical initially but you're so right in that especially at kind of russell group unis in the uk 
I think it's about changing that narrative around what success means and that there is no singular definition of success, right? And that is totally dependent on who you are personally, you know, what your goals are, what your values are. And often a really good place to figure those things out is in a startup environment where, you know, you can work across teams, across functions, and just be a bit of a jack of all trades and learn so many different skills. Um, So yeah, it's awesome to hear you had such a great experience with that startup. Yeah, for sure. So what's the sort of like next stages for for Unbox? Yeah, sure. So I mean, we are currently in the midst of our first kind of main wave of matching after we did our pilot in Easter. So since then, we've expanded to seven different universities around the UK. Um, And we received about a thousand applications from students across those universities which is really heartening to see that actually this is something people really want and people are super keen to get into the startup space. Um, And we're in the process of, yeah, doing our magical matchmaking with the startup opportunities that we have for them. Um, And so in terms of next steps, once this wave of matching is done, we really want to focus on um, nurturing our Onbox community. So we work on a cohort basis such that whoever is successful in getting into our cohort is not just matched with a startup, but they're also exposed to different networking opportunities internationally. They're exposed to cool virtual events that we have created or curated with our partners. They're exposed, most importantly, to a bunch of really cool, like-minded, ambitious individuals who also have no idea what they're doing, but are really keen to figure out what makes them tick. And so, yeah, yeah, we're really going to work on fostering that community as well as um, developing a platform um, because we've realized that actually now that we've properly validated what we're doing, we want to support as many students as possible in doing that. And rather than just being a jobs listing platform, like as you were mentioned, as you were mentioning, that are kind of people who are doing this. Ultimately, we really want to tailor our service to each and every individual who comes through and show them opportunities and connect them to opportunities that really make sense for them. So, yeah, focusing on kind of platform development, growth and yeah, fostering our community. How was it starting uh, Unbox? while at university you know it must have been really really challenging yeah to say the least I'm sure you've got experience with this you know with um starting the podcast and everything else awesome that you're doing um we were talking about this before as well but ultimately I think starting a little side hustle at university is becoming a lot more common but that doesn't of course mean that it becomes easier so personally I think Sophia and I my co-founder have found it super difficult to balance everything um, in terms of obviously our university work and our exams with our passion project, which is Unbox, which ultimately is kind of why we get up in the morning. Um, But I think ultimately, if you're doing something that you're really passionate can make change and you are very passionate about the kind of world that you want to see um, through pursuing that initiative, then you know, you're going to be absolutely fine. And I think people ask, how do you have time to kind of do all this when you're doing finals and stuff like this, which I sometimes ask myself, to be honest. But ultimately, um, I found that almost being busier makes you more productive because it forces you to really structure your time 
in a sensible way, which, you know, I'm sure you have experience of. Um, And that means that you can really get the most out of every hour and you get to know yourself a lot better through that as well, right? Like what times of day do you Mm. work really well? When are you most productive? When do you just need to like shut off, not do anything, turn your phone off um, and stuff like this. So it's tough, but definitely Mm. doable. And as we were saying before, I think that uni, when you're at uni, it's one of the best times almost to start a side hustle or to start a business because it is a really risky thing to do. But at university, when you likely have no dependents and um, you probably are going to have more time at university than any other time in your career, it's a really great time to actually yeah. just launch into it. And if it fails, you know, it's okay. Like nothing's going to happen to you. Um, but the positive mm. spin on that is that you're just going to learn so much. Um, it's going to be awesome. And no, I'm, I'm curious to learn also about what your... Um, experiences have been of starting this whilst you were at uni the millennial entrepreneur podcast oh yeah it was it was really difficult (laughs) it was really really tough and like I mean yeah I mean the same thing as you uh I realized that it is you know a a really good place to start something at, at university because like the risk level is is really small and also uh Every university that I've come across, like we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but every sort of university I've come across has some sort of a funding opportunity to fund students. And um, if you can kind of get into that, if you can make use of those funds, it's not even your money that you're risking. It's it's literally the university's money. And yeah. that that funding is actually pretty easy to get. It's, it's probably the least competitive funding you will ever you know fight mm-hmm. for because... They're literally just giving it away to students, uh, like university students. They're not giving it away to, and that's just in you, your university. It's not for like everyone else. So it's really it's it's the easiest funding that you'll probably apply for. And there's there's like a big pot of, as well. So and if they don't give it to you, they'll give really good feedback as well in your ideas. So like it's it's a good place to start for sure. And you 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 have more time as well that you said. And like for me. I started with a, a completely separate idea to what I have now. And, um, you know, that time allowed me to pivot to the point where I'm like happy, happy with the thing that I have now. And mm-hmm. so, but if I didn't have that time to pivot, that early failure might have stopped me in my tracks because I, I didn't have time to sort of evaluate where the next steps were, if that makes sense. So, yeah and you know the university were very supportive with the journey whereas if if you're like outside a university you know space that support there I mean there is no support so (laughs) yeah pivoting becomes a challenge in the first place um so yeah Yeah. that's that's kind of my experience of where it was and it, it was a long journey to where it is now and and I don't think that journey would have you know emerged if it wasn't for you know the risk free environment that we talked about yeah I think you're so right and I mean I think a lot of universities, particularly around the UK, are starting to really boost their internal university startup ecosystem. They're trying to provide opportunities for students where they can. They're trying to, you know, fund student startups, like you said. And ultimately, I totally agree. Like, that's probably the easiest funding that you're going to get access to throughout your entrepreneurial journey. And if you can leverage that, it'll get you off to such a good start. Um, but also you already have a kind of a ready-made support network as it were if you start off at university because 
you have got those internal incubators and accelerators, for example, at a lot of unis now. You have got, you know, awesome academics who can help you with research um, or whatever it might be. You have alumni who've gone on to um, start awesome ventures. And I just think one thing I would say is that it's really important to leverage those connections that you have at university. It's something I don't see many people doing, but actually like generally people will really want to help. Um, and I think just recognizing that and not being afraid to just reach out to people and ask, you know, about their lessons learned, their best practices, you can learn a lot and you can also get some awesome kind of mentors and advisors that way. So like one example is that, um, a guest that Sophia and I invited to speak at our entrepreneurship society um, in the autumn term actually has turned out to be the best business mentor and advisor to us now. Um, and it was just from a conversation when actually after the event, we took her to our college bar and just had like this random brainstorming session. Yeah. <laughs> and um, actually that was when we came up with the seedling idea for Unbox and she was so on board and amazing. And, you know, we probably wouldn't be here today without her support um, and, you know, the connections that she's made from us and everything that she's taught us. So, yeah, would really recommend leveraging those resources. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you talked about how people are realizing a lot more now, you know, starting a side hustle at university and um like it's kind of it is kind of scary, like seeing people start from a younger, younger age um you're just like wow this is this is this is crazy um but it's happening and you know what sort of advice would you give to them and what sort of things would you change if you could go back and talk to your younger self yeah no it's such a good question and I think ultimately I have to agree with you it's super scary to see like <laughs> in a 17 good way in a good way and 18 yeah in a good way of course to see 17 year olds and 18 year olds like start these amazing ventures um but I also think that it's amazing that they're helping to change the narrative around what a successful entrepreneur looks like, because I think I read something in Harvard Business Review earlier this week that said that the average kind of successful age, um, the average age, sorry, of a successful entrepreneur is 45. Um, and for us as kind of millennial Gen Z entrepreneurs, I guess, that's like, wow, that's really far in the future. And ultimately, oh my gosh, do I have to have X amount of years of experience to be successful mm. in my venture? And it's like, no, there is no one mold that an entrepreneur has to look like or sound like or um, actions that you have to take to be successful. And I think if I were to give advice to my younger self, um, I would probably say just because you know, I was very worried about not seeing anyone who looked like me. Um, and still, to be honest, seeing very few women of color who are going down this entrepreneurial route and succeeding. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, why am I even doing this? Let me just go down the well-trodden path. Um, you know, I'll be successful. I'll be secure that way, whatever. And then I was like, you know what, if I am not the, if I can't see anyone like me who's doing this, well, why can't I be one of the people who's trying to change that narrative? Um, yeah, definitely. And ultimately I would say, if you feel like that, if you feel like there isn't anyone who looks like you, who's doing it um, or who exhibits similar behavior to you or is passionate about the things that you are, kind of, you know, screw it. Like you do you, you there is only one you. 
And I think that it's really important that we pave the way for other founders who um, are diverse in some way or another, because the best ideas do come from diverse founders. That's like unequivocally one of the biggest things I've learned. Aaron Bock's core team is one of the most diverse teams I've ever worked with. We're from, we're five people um, who, and you know, one of the only things that we have in common is one, that we went to the same university and two, that we're all passionate about breaking down barriers to the startup mm. space. And that's kind of where the similarities stop. We're from five different countries. I think we speak about like eight languages between us. <laughs> um, we're all of different ethnicities, have all been brought up in very different ways. And ultimately, I think that's what's led us to grow so rapidly and be so successful. Like, well, I don't want to use the word successful right now. It's way too early. But hopefully it will lead us to some success in the future. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, even when you're having those team meetings and those brainstorming sessions, people who are different to you think about things in such a different way um, that if you were a solo founder or working with someone from a very similar background to yourself, you just never would have thought of. Um, so I think, yeah, ultimately that is what my advice would be. Don't be scared off by the fact that people may not look like you or whatever. Um, you can totally do it. And I would say that a really good way to overcome that is to seek out mentors and advisors Mm. who look like you and have done a similar thing or, um, are passionate about giving back to the founder community. Mm. Um, so our mentor who I was just talking about she's like the most amazing woman and she is also a female founder of color. And I think that has been for me personally, one of the biggest motivating factors in making me feel like actually we can make a success of this. Hmm. You know, she's gone and done it. Why can't we? Yeah, of course. So yeah. That's what I was going to ask you next actually was how have you kind of like overcome, you know, see, you know, being, being a woman of color and in a space where that's not, you know, the norm, that's not the majority how like you you talked about it but yeah how did you kind of overcome that and did you see it as like a barrier in the first instance yeah great question um I'm really curious to know your thoughts and experiences on this as well Sina but I think for me I never necessarily saw it as a barrier I kind of saw it from quite early on as something that was scary and was kind of frustrating but also I saw it as something that would help me to stand out um and really put my cause forward Um, I've always been very passionate about kind of paving the way for others and giving back however I can, um, because I've been like immensely privileged in the education that, you know, I've had, um, and the opportunities that my parents have been able to give me through just like working extremely hard their entire lives. And for me, that just meant that they'd kind of instill these values in me that if you work really hard um and believe in what you're doing um and build a really good support network around you then you can do it um and I think that's some that's a kind of mindset that a lot of people aren't lucky enough to have and so I felt very blessed to have that Mm. from them and so I think that helped me see it as something that wasn't an obstacle but was something that would really give me a leg up even though obviously um it does turn out to be an obstacle in some ways in terms of accessing funding, in terms of accessing mentors, um, whatever it might be, um, building partnerships or whatever. People still have unconscious biases and this is not something that we can shy away yeah, exactly. from. But we just have to, yeah, keep doing what we're doing and ultimately like make the most of our differences 
um, to show that it can be done. But yeah, what yeah. have your experiences been? Have th- you have you seen it as an obstacle? I think I think you and I um, are actually quite lucky in a way where we, you know, we 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 look, <laughs> we we do have like different skin colors and stuff, but the way we speak it's very you know it's very english it's very white british yeah it is it is and i think <laughs> yeah that you know we that's that kind of eases that kind of breaks down the i mean it's it's not good that it does that but it kind of breaks down the barrier when it comes to those sort of like conversations and i spoke to mm-hmm. um arminda the the guy that was on dragon's den about this as well and he said that you know because you know, when they first sort of see you their first impression might not be great but when you fi- when you start speaking and they realize that your accent's the same as theirs um like yeah it, it eases down it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that of if you course. actually think about it it shouldn't be like that but the thing is i mean i guess that's that's the way it is and i don't really know why but i mean even with i mean if you think about it going to accents uh people from the north as well northern accents they're not as mm-hmm. you know they they i feel get discriminated against for, for some level as well even though you know that has no sort of impact on you know the the viability of their business Absolutely. but you know that that does happen so and not just for business just sort of any you know jobs as well i i, I spoke to someone who was quite a high high up in a law firm and she was northern and she said when i came you know to london to get a job in a law firm i had to you know change my accent otherwise you know people wouldn't take me seriously and so you know stuff like that you know Mm. stuff like that needs to change and you know race is one thing and i guess you know accents is another thing but you know race is a lot more important and and gender as well so for my personal experience though i think i've been lucky where i haven't actually it's strange to think because you never know that's the thing you never know if it's actually been a barrier because if you send an email to someone and they don't reply to you if they don't you know would they have replied to someone with a white name that's what i think and mm. you know yeah. you never you, you don't know the full extent of it that's the thing but on the face of it i i think i'm lucky where i haven't actually experienced anything that bad and there are schemes out there that have promoted you know um bame entrepreneurship and I've tried to make full use of those. You know, there are schemes out there that um, I've advertised before on the podcast as well because, I, I, you know, I feel strongly about it and I feel like people should apply to them. So, yeah, I've made full use of those. But, yeah, you just you don't know the full extent of it. That's, that's just my thought of it. Yeah, 100%. I think you're right. We are very, very lucky in a way um, because I think as soon as you open your mouth, people people's biases and their preconceptions immediately change because you at least sound familiar even if you don't look familiar Mm. um but you're so right in that like even something that seems kind of trivial as an Mm. accent is so so important and um I think that again like just going back to unbox that's something that we're very aware of because we are very aware of the fact that you know, what we're doing is a work in progress. And that right now, simply due to the bandwidth of our team, we're only working in seven university campuses and they are seen as kind of the elite universities. Um, And, you know, we got a lot of queries from students at other universities across the country and further afield internationally, actually, as far as the US and India, for example, um, asking if these opportunities were open to them. And, you know, we 
gave them a quick form to fill in and said, you know, we really, really want to expand rapidly so that we can serve you. Um, And, you know, it's awesome to see that interest. But ultimately, that's something that's really high on our agenda, because if we are not open to opportunities, if we don't open up, sorry, our opportunities to students beyond the elite UK universities, then, you know, it could be said that we're almost perpetuating the problem um, of access and diversity and outreach. And I think, you know, going up north to some of the best universities in the country in the UK to, you know, Manchester, Newcastle, Leeds, etc. There's so much talent there. Mm. Um, And we really want to expand to those universities and give opportunities to those students, because ultimately students at the Russell Group universities or the Oxbridges of the world um, are going to have a lot of opportunities anyway. Um, so I think you're right. Like there are always um, obstacles, there are always privileges, but ultimately, you know, there are ways to overcome them. There's a lot more support now than there ever has been. I think my biggest piece of advice to anyone who feels this way is to just seek out mentors um, who they can relate to because you'd be really, really surprised at how willing people are to help, particularly now with coronavirus. People understand what hard time this is to be going into the workforce, yeah. right? To be starting a business. Um, you know, you can see all of these great LinkedIn posts about like um, how Uber and Airbnb were started in the last recession in 2008. But ultimately, like you don't hear the story behind that absolute, you don't hear the slog behind that glamorized story, yeah, yeah. right? You know, it's not easy to start off in a recession. It's not easy to get a job in a recession. So people are willing to help. And just reaching out with a quick message on LinkedIn, an email, whatever it might be, it's worth trying your luck um, because people want to see change, particularly now. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic that I could talk about for ages, and it's, <laughs> I think I think we're like equally very passionate about it. So, like, we could talk about this for ages, but I, I do want to like because we're like running out of time, and there is one thing I'd, I'd love to ask you about because I know people would be very interested is how you can kind of we talked about this before we recorded, but how you can kind of utilize your personal branding online and also offline you talked about as well so how does that all work yeah no it's a great question um i think building a personal brand for the millennial and gen z generations has become something that is seen as very fearful um and that you have to be a very sort certain type of person to build an online personal brand or to build an offline personal brand. And ultimately, I've come to realize in the past few months when I've made a conscious effort to start building mine out, that in this world and this particularly digital world that we are living in right now with the virus, um, it's so important to give yourself a voice online as well as offline. Um, And I think I was saying this to you before, Sina, but I do think there's a misconception that you have to be a very different sort of person online and that you can't be your authentic self if you're putting out content and stuff like this. But ultimately, your online brand is just an extension of your offline identity. And I think thinking about it that way is very helpful because it allows you to be your authentic self. Um, And that, you know, given what we were just talking about, that is something that will really help people to get to know the real you and will open up more opportunities than you can imagine. So just to give you a few examples, a couple of months ago, I started doing sort of like free careers consulting um, sessions for students. 
and oh um, yeah i do remember that yeah i remember and um that was something that i'd been doing sort of informally before um but i really wanted to open up the opportunity to as many people as possible and got so much interest and i was like whoa okay i need to think about how i'm going to do this and so those sessions um were really really helpful to the people i spoke with hopefully um or at least that's what their feedback indicated um and so yeah. that is a way of kind of building your personal identity offline and showing people that you are someone they can go to for help and that you're willing to give them time to just understand their career trajectory their early career steps and share your own lessons learned and then i mean i converted that into an online brand by starting to post um uh, weekly content on LinkedIn, for example, that I think would be really helpful to my former self to hear or to read. So I think that's a really good way of going about it. Like you two years ago, what would you have really benefited from hearing from an older peer or a mentor that you didn't necessarily have mm. access to? Um, and the good thing yeah, about these social sure. media platforms is that they've totally democratized access to these kinds of learnings, right? So any kind of micro content, whether it is, you know, super short video snippets, whether it's a daily post, um, whether you start your own podcast, you know, um, <laughs> it's all going to be really, really helpful. And it's going to open up more opportunities than you ever could have imagined. Like since I started making a conscious effort to build my brand, um, both online and offline, I've been approached for a bunch of different things, um, including your podcast, actually, which is super cool. <laughs> and I feel very honored to be here. Um, <laughs> But, the best thing so, you've been approached to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, honestly, like I've got so many mentors through it. I've been able to help so many people through it. And I think that it really gives you an awesome leg up in that respect. So we encourage people to do that. Yeah, I think I think for people when they hear the words like personal brand, I feel like, well, this was me actually. This is exactly what I thought. But I thought that meant like, you know, the like Instagram influencer types. That's what mm -hmm. I thought personal branding meant. And, you know, that's just a bit like it's a bit cringy to me and I can't at the same time I kind of wish I was that sort of thing because they're actually like killing it at the moment but the sort of like the sort of like hey guys like back with another it's just like that's a bit I don't know it's not very genuine to me it just seems a bit fake and that's when I hear when I heard the words personal brand before that's what I thought it meant but I've come to realize that's not what it means at all and uh, well it does that, and that, that's included but there's there's much more to it yeah such a good point. I almost feel like we need to reinvent the term and coin something different because I do think personal branding has quite a lot of negative connotations attached to it. Um, but you're so right. Ultimately, um, it's about the your genuine self and your authentic self and not what other like random Instagram influencers are trying to do. Um, mm. I think being yourself and trying to add value in any way you can will ultimately be really, really helpful to you personally. Which strategies have you used to enhance your personal brand and which of those like have you have reaped the most rewards for you that people can start, you know, today? So I would encourage anyone, literally whoever you are, whoever may be listening to this, um, to just start. And everyone always says the first step is the hardest. But I think when it comes to online personal brand building or whatever you want to call it, um, people are just fearful that, um, you know, someone's going to read their content and be like, what on earth are you doing? And I was very, very worried about that. Um, I worried about what people would think. I worried that my content wouldn't be helpful. I worried about this, that literally everything you could worry about. Yeah. Um, 
And then I just did it one day um, because I was inspired by um, someone else similar to me around my age who was just putting out amazing content. And I was like, you know what? I actually think from all the lessons I've learned over the past couple of years, I could really provide some valuable advice. Um, And so I did it and the response was awesome. And I think only once you do it, do you realize how much value you have to add? And Mm. particularly as students, I think people think that, oh, I'm a student, like I don't have anything valuable on you to say, but your experiences are all different, right? From the next person, from your best friend, from your co-founder, from your podcast co-host, whatever. That if you just base things, base the content that you put out around two things, um, it's really helpful. And those two things are firstly, tell stories. There is nothing people identify more with than a good story that is personable, personal and relatable. Mm-hmm. And secondly, really focus on adding value. So don't use LinkedIn as an online CV or as a platform to like shout about your accomplishments. Um, that's yeah. not what people want to see. And that's part of the performative um, branding that we were mentioning earlier, right? Like ultimately, mm-hmm. if you want to build a personal brand, you have to be helpful to people. And, you know, I think one platform I've really utilized is LinkedIn because the organic reach of LinkedIn and the algorithm that they have rewards good content, not the author of the content. So yeah. um, those would be my three main strategies. Use platforms that really um, correlate well and correspond to your brand and the persona that you like want to extend into the online world. Secondly, base your content around stories in your own life and what you've learned. And secondly, really try and add value. Um, yeah. That's what I'd say. Have you, like, what sort of other platforms do you post on that you think, you know, have reaped rewards for you? So, like, I know you do, like, blog posts as well. I don't know if you've explored other sort of platforms. I know, like, TikTok's quite in at the moment. <laughs> and one that I'm, like, looking to at the moment as well. So, yeah. I mean, I'm quite scared of TikTok, but I don't know if saying that makes me sound <laughs> really old, but... I'm just trying to get get to grips with Instagram, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think my primary platform is definitely LinkedIn, simply because a lot of the stuff I post is um, career stuff, um, entrepreneurship stuff, and that's where you know that kind of target demographic is. But because a big goal of mine is to help people figure out those early career steps. Um, I quickly realized that a lot of the people I wanted to help actually weren't already on LinkedIn because the student demographic there isn't as big, for example, as on Instagram. So I am currently trying to build up more of an Instagram um, uh, platform to just try and get those learnings out there to as many more people as possible. Um, I also think, yeah, blogging is a great way to go about it or vlogging, whatever you want to do, TikToking. There are so many, like the world is your oyster. There are so many platforms. I think you have to figure out what lies at the intersection between what you're passionate about, what your values are and what value you want to bring to others. And by doing that, um, you'll figure out what the best platform is for you and the kind of content that would be best for you. And you can sort of go from there yeah great advice okay last question before we kind of wrap up um so what rewards have you seen from you know focusing a lot on your personal branding i know you talked about it a little bit but just to expand yeah sure so i think it's gonna sound a bit cheesy but ultimately i've had like literally hundreds of students reach out um 
at different parts of their journey. So students who are currently still in school to recent graduates who just want kind of advice, um, given that it's such a turbulent time to be a young person, to be someone um, whose exams have been cancelled, to be someone whose internships been um, withdrawn or postponed or whatever. Um, And ultimately, it's really, really gratifying and humbling to be able to help people in whatever little way it might be, whether that's through making connections, whether it's jumping on a quick call with them. Um, Because as we've touched on throughout this podcast, I'm a really big believer in giving back because I've been so lucky in the opportunities I've had. And to be able to do that for people literally all over the world has been awesome. Um, that's the main thing, I think. But I've also, you know, been approached to um, feature on different kind of media outlets, um, to come on podcasts, as I said before, to um, great PR opportunities for Unbox, for example. Um, So the opportunities and possibilities are really endless. Um, And I think that just starting, it's definitely the hardest part. But once you do it, you will definitely reap the rewards And I would just encourage young people to get on the bandwagon like now, because this is only something that in my eyes is going to grow in the next few years. And if you don't have a presence online, I fear that people will be left behind because it's no longer enough, it seems, to just do awesome things offline. But you have to talk about them online. You have to reflect on them and share your learnings with other people. Yeah, no, great advice. I definitely agree as well. It's something that I've jumped on pretty much like this year I didn't really focus on it too much before and I think I've realized it I don't think the boat's like left I don't think the what's the Definitely saying not. I, don't, I don't think the boat's I left know. I can't remember yeah. the saying is whatever it's not too late the that's what I'm trying sailed. to say that's the one that's that's the it thing. the ship sailed yeah um but yeah I don't think I don't think it's too late at all what you said so yeah I think we'll like we'll wrap it up there because we've gone on for quite a long time talking about race, talking about a lot of stuff. <laughs> but it's been really, it's been super interesting and I think super valuable for people listening and and me as well, of course. Um, so how can people kind of stay in touch with you, stay in touch with on, uh, Unbox in, in the future? Yeah, for sure. So regarding Unbox, um, if you're a student at any university in the UK. Um, or further afield and are interested in chatting, learning more, whatever, um, please reach out. Like, I always love talking to people, as you've probably noticed. Um, So just reach out um, via our website at weareonbox.com or through our socials um, at unbox.oxford. If you want to just kind of get in touch with me personally, have a chat, or if I can help you in any way, please do. Um, I am, yeah on linkedin a lot on instagram um or you can just email me um and yeah please do reach out okay sweet thank you so much nikita for coming on thank you so much for having me sina it was great to chat to you and um yeah hope this was helpful for some people i really enjoyed it thank you so much for listening to this episode of the men entrepreneur it was a real pleasure talking with nikita really inspiring woman i definitely learned a lot from her Uh, on her journey and a really interesting story as well if you did enjoy please be sure to leave a five-star rating on apple podcasts uh, and a written review because that would be amazing you can do that on the written review or you can do that by messaging me directly on the millennial entrepreneur podcast instagram page uh, and the links in the description for that my name is Messina. thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode